we're looking today at two different um, sections and passages of the book of Ephesians. Isn't, um, haven't you been enjoying the walking lessons that we've been getting from the Apostle Paul? He is a wonderful walking coach, isn't he? He's a wonderful life coach. He's teaching us how to conduct ourselves, how to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. When we were called by name and adopted by God into the house of God, into the family of God, um, then the, there, uh, there's a wonderful set of blessings that's available to us, and at the same time, there's a wonderful set of responsibilities that are also available to us and expected of us. As children of God, we don't just sit around and enjoy everybody else's hard work and enjoy what everybody else brings to the party, but we bring our own gift to the party, don't we? And we're able to walk and we're able to make a contribution, a gift, and then we are able to, to, to our behavior is actually converted and changed along with our identity. We become people who are free to be comfortable in our own skin. We become people who are free to live into and to live up to the name into which we have been adopted. And we are learning about that in chapters four, five, and six of Ephesians, this back half of the letter to the church at Ephesus. And in chapter five, he starts out this way. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. He says, you've been adopted by Abba Father. Now imitate him. You ever, yeah, I don't know if you remember um, when your kids were little and, and they started to imitate their father. They started to imitate you as their mother. They look at the adults in their lives and, and they act like them. Um, their behaviors kind of take on the behaviors of people around them. Uh, I always thought it would be way better if my kids would do what I said and not what I do. But they don't, do they? They don't do what you say, they do what you do. Um, in this same way, because when, when children are loved and they're cherished and, and they know that they're loved, then they, they imitate their parents. Be imitators of God, Abba Father, as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now, if you're following um, the, the, the word in color advice that, that I gave you for this back half of the book, that is um, to take the imperative verbs. Paul is, um, he's giving us, you know, definite and hardcore life instructions. He's saying, do this and don't do this. Do this and don't do this. And whenever there's a do this, uh, I like to take a green pen and put a green box, like a green light around do this, do this. And then where it says, don't do this, don't do this, then I take a red pin and I put a box around it. Green pins and red pins, like green light, red light. You, this is what we want to do and not do. So be imitators of God, big green box around that. Be imitators of God and walk in love. Big green box around walk in love. Imitating Christ, just as he did to us. And then you take out your red pen because you're gonna be using your red pen for a little bit after that. Um, and, and he tells us several things. He, he lines up these, um, these list of behaviors in, in I don't know, in, in scholarly circles, they call it a vice list, a vice list. And Paul loved to make lists. He made virtue lists and vice lists. Do this, 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 and he stacks them up don't do this, this or this or this or this. And here we see sexual immorality, all impurity and covetousness, 
must not even be named among you. Red box, red box, red box. This is what we want to see. Red light. Let's not go there. Let's not do this. This is, this is not behavior that, that God is blocking from what is permissible to us uh, because he's trying to take our fun away. This is behavior that he's saying, this is no longer consistent with who you are. It could be that your old identity, who you used to be before you were adopted into God's family, that that was completely the expectation and what is absolutely appropriate and what would be expected. Um, it may be the circumstances in which we were raised. It may be um, the, the, the patterns we were taught or the patterns we learned as coping mechanisms or whatever. He says, but this is, this is not who we are now. Now that we're adopted into the family of God, now we have a different set of, of behaviors that, that, are, that are totally, that are gonna become normal for us. Not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Remember, that's our new name. There should be no filthiness, red box. No foolish talk, red box. No crude joking. It's out of place, he says. It's not, this is not what you would expect to hear in the house of God. God is speaking, or Paul is speaking specifically about these areas of our lives that are so easily caught up in the world around us that are easy for us to, to look around and pay attention to and see and identify in our lives and to be able to say, this is categorically how things are gonna be different. This is qualitatively how things are gonna be different as we're living in the house of God. This is a place where people are edified. People are honored just because they're people, just because they're human beings. And so the way we use our mouths and the way we use our identities, our bodies, this is how, this is how we honor, first and foremost, this is how we honor the name of God. This is how we truly become who we really, really are. Let's talk for just a minute about speech. Uh, I know, I know. You don't want to talk about speech. I don't want to talk about speech. We don't want to talk about our language. We don't want to talk about what comes out of our mouths. <laughs> Uh, because that, get, that hits a little close to home. Um, I, that is the first thing in, in my own life that, that kind of goes down the toilet if I'm experiencing frustration or if I'm tired or if I'm whatever. Um, it wasn't very long ago, I was getting into my car in that very parking lot, right out there, outside of this holy, this holy place. And as I did, I'm jostling 40 pounds of stuff, you know, like I normally am. And my laptop started to slip out of my arm and, and, and I could just see it in my imagination, you know, crashing to the ground and breaking into a thousand tiny pieces. And I said a word that I, I'm like, whoa, where'd that come from? Where did that come from? Literally one of those over the shoulder, I'm a pastor at a church on church property <laughs> saying words that would not glorify my Abba Father. And I just remember thinking as I'm looking over my shoulder, Deidre, what, do you, what, what does that mean if I have to look over my shoulder after I utter a word or a phrase? I had to stop right there and I had to evaluate my day. I had to back up and go, Where, where's my mind been? Where has my heart been? What kind of fear is it that, that, that maybe I reacted to in that moment? 
What kind of deep-seated fear am I, am I thinking that, that is messing with my identity right here? Because that's where this kind of stuff comes from. And then, and, and then it affects our spirit. His spirit talks to our spirit. And the word spirit, listen to this, the word spirit is the word in Greek, pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma. And as we breathe in, we're breathing in the breath, the spirit of God, or not. And as we speak, we're breathing out the pneuma or the spirit of whatever's in us, whatever resides there. This is why our speech shows more quickly than anything else the nature and the state of our spirit. This is why so often when our spirits are rumpled, it comes out in speech. Either, whether it's crude or harsh or angry or um, tearing people down or gossip or whatever it is, it will almost always present itself in the form of speech, words, breath punctuated by syllables. As we begin to hear our own speech, we can evaluate the, the state of our spirits. I had to stop right there and say, Lord, where are we here? What's going on? I feel like I might be working out of, out of a root, out of a, out of a root system of fear or something that is causing my mind and my mouth to go places that maybe it shouldn't go. So speech is one place that we can immediately identify. We can immediately, that should be the thing that raises the red flag and lets us see, let, let's stop and think for just a minute about where my speech is going and let your speech then tell you a little bit about where your spirit is going. Paul gives us two big walking lessons in this section. He says, walk in love. We just read that text. Walk in love. In other words, our speech should reflect the love that we have for others. Our speech should reflect the love we have for others. And then he breaks that down into categories. Walking in love has to do with speech, the way we talk, the way our breath leaves our body and becomes words and phrases and sentences and tirades or whatever it is, and sexual purity. Dirty mouths, obscenity, foolish talk, sexual activity, immorality. This is not, no longer like the sons of disobedience do we behave. This is not consistent with a daughter of the king. This is, this is a lifestyle that is now, it's no longer who you are. If it ever was who you are, it's no longer who you are. Now that we are daughters of the king, we are pure in our breath, pure in our spirit, pure in our lives. The second big lesson he gives us in this section is walk in wisdom, wisdom. It's a beautiful theme that runs throughout Ephesians. And we've been marking the words knowledge, understanding, insight, wisdom, all of those kind of revelation, we've been marking those words in Ephesians so that we can see the pattern as we go through the book. God wants us to know. He doesn't want us to be blind. He doesn't want us to be dumb. He doesn't want us to be uneducated. He wants us to, to be able to have clear judgment, clear thoughts, good thinking, so that we are going into our lives, so that we're walking into our decisions and we're entering into our relationships, and we're, and we're in communication with one another in knowledge with wisdom. He says, walk in wisdom. The analogy he uses here is light 
versus darkness. So you used to be children of darkness, but you're not children of darkness anymore. You're no longer living in the darkness. You have stepped into the light. I'm not sure if you have experiences um, with walking in darkness. Um, I have a funny feeling we could pass the mic around today and hear a few stories about walking in darkness. Uh, I have a funny one. Uh, I have some not so funny ones as well, but I'll tell you a funny one. The other uh, couple weeks ago, I was um, walking through the house, kind of like I was walking to my car the other day, uh, with a big pile of books and stuff in my arms, and I needed to go, I wanted to, to deposit these things in my study, my office, in my home, and so I walked in there, and just walking around a few corners of my house, it was pitch dark in my office, pitch. There, you, you could not see your hand in front of your face in my office. It was just, it's just situated in the house in such a way that no light gets in there if everything is closed off and it's nighttime. So I walk in there, and I'm feeling for the edge of my desk to slide this, you know, stack of books onto the edge of my desk. And as I did that, I didn't see a big heavy tumbler that was sitting on the edge of my desk, a big cup, big heavy cup. And it tumbled off. It fell off of the, of the table and down onto my toe. No, here, this one. It was the middle toe of the left foot and that toe talked to me all night long. I could not sleep. It, was, it hurt like fire all the way through the night. The next morning, I got up, I woke up, and I'm like, what in the world is up with my toe? And it was big and blue and black, and I could hardly walk at all. I think I broke it, but you know, with toes, they say, don't worry, there's not much you can do about it anyway. So I can't confirm that, but that, to that toe hurt me for weeks and weeks and weeks after that because I was walking in darkness. That's just foolish. Don't. Don't walk in darkness. It's much better and healthier, and you're going to live a longer, happier, less painful life if you'll just walk in the light. We're children of light. We've been adopted into God's household, and we have light. That's one of the benefits of being part of God's household, is the light in which we now live. This is wisdom. It's knowledge. It's insight. It's available to us, not only from one another, but from the Holy Spirit, God himself, God's self. We have light from the Holy Spirit. Let's be children of light, walk in the light, walk in the knowledge of our own identity of who God is and who we are, a great, great benefit of being children of light. Light exposes darkness. Light exposes sin. Light exposes the things that are barriers, the things that are in our way, the things that may cause us harm and may cause us pain. Whether that light is coming to you straight from the Holy Spirit or that light is coming to you through your girlfriends and your small group or from the, the letter to the Ephesians as you read it, wherever that light is coming from, let that light shine on your path. Let it determine whether you go left or right or where you barge into and careful, careful about walking in the dark. Walk in wisdom, walking in the light, Walk um, according to the wisdom that God gives us. He also talks a little bit about time management. He says, I want you to walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of time. Making the most of time, because the days are evil. Um, I don't have time for a long explanation, but I just want to give you a brief 
encouragement. Time, probably even more than money, is, is a very faithful detector of where your affections lie. Where do we spend our time is where we're investing our hearts. It, I, used to, I used to think that, that time and money were almost equal in this, um, but within the culture in which we live today, I think really um, even more than money, our time is so precious to us. And managing that time, managing the free time that we have, managing the, the time that we are, are capable of managing that's free to us to decide what to do, can very, very quickly evaluate um, the state of our spirit, kind of like our speech. And so it's not a bad exercise from time to time to look through uh, your calendar and to ask yourself this simple evaluative question. Where am I spending my time? How am I spending my time? What am I planning for next week? What am I planning for the week after that? What am I willing? What is worth it? What, what, is, what is worth planning for and spending my time on? What, is, what, is, what seems to be worth it in terms of my past habits? And what seems to be worth it in terms of my future? And make the most of our time because the days are evil. Time is limited. We have only so much of this precious resource. God wants us to walk in wisdom, to walk in light. That means that we don't just finish a day, turn the page, and move on, but we evaluate and we think, we use our heads, and we walk in the light. We use that evaluation then to make wonderful use of this beautiful resource of time that God has given us. Now that I only have 10 minutes, I'm gonna tell you all about marriage. I know nothing about marriage. It would not take 10 minutes for me to tell you everything I know about marriage. But let me just uh, sneak a quick summary of this last pericope that I wanna talk about today. Ephesians chapter five, verses 21, to 6-9, Ephesians 5.21 to 6-9. It's a section of scripture that outlines a household code. If you uh, read in your Bible study this week, then you read a little bit about the household code. It was a common, um, it was a legal document actually of the day that prescribed behavior for different people within a normal household. Uh, a normal household in their day, at the time that this was written, was led by the head of a household, a male head of household, father, husband, master. And this male head of household then had relationships with the wife, children, and slaves that were all a regular part of the first century household. And we can learn much from Paul's household code. He was taking the household code that was established at the time, Plato, Socrates, and other um, uh, classical writers had already created household codes, and these were well known in the time. So when he started to write this thing about husbands, you're supposed to act this way, wives, you're supposed to act this way, you know, children, and so forth, they immediately understood. They immediately understood where he was going with this section that he was writing. 
But when he said that the overarching principle of the house of God is mutual submission, that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that was taking the established household code and flipping it on its head. And every one of the readers, is, we lose the wow factor in reading it in English in our culture today, but in their culture in that day, reading that document in its original context, they would have said, what? What? The male head of household in their culture didn't have to answer to anyone, didn't have to, didn't have to consider anyone else in the household. He simply did what he wanted. He absolutely had his way without any, without any reconciling or any answering questions about anyone else. And so for, for the male head of household to be asked to submit to the others in his household out of reverence for Christ, it was a very, very different proposition than what was available to them. And so whether in marriage or in parenting, or in, we're gonna call it employer-employee relationships, which is a good way to kind of translate um, masters and slaves into our current culture. Our call is to submit. The word is hupotasso, and it means to stand under, or it means to line up underneath the authority of another person. It means to submit your rights to another person. Husbands are called to do it, Wives are called to do it. Parents are called to do it. Children are called to do it. Bosses are called to do it. And employees are called to do it. To submit to one another. Why? Because we revere and fear the Lord. Out of our fear for the Lord, motivated by our fear for the Lord, understanding that the hierarchy comes down from the Lord to us, we then put the other's best interests above our own. Back to Ephesians 5.1. It says, walk in love. Walk in love. This is the same command. The biblical idea or definition of love is to put the other's interests above your own. If we were mutually doing that in marriage, if we were mutually doing that in the household among parents and children, if we're mutually doing that in the workplace, whether it's volunteer or professional or whatever, if we're mutually doing that with our friends, if we were putting the other's interests above our, above our own, what kind of relationships would we have? The kind that the world would notice and say, that's different, that's different than the way we normally do it. We have a, I, I'm in a community group, my husband and I and a and, um, bunch of our friends. We meet every week, we've been meeting for years. Um, and recently a new couple joined our group. And I chatted with her just the other day and um, she said the most amazing thing about this group is you all seem to love being married and you all seem to love your spouses. She said, my, my girlfriends in, my, in the circles I run in, you know, outside of the church, they don't like their husbands and their wives don't like them. 
and they trash talk each other all the time. They're always, you know, tearing each other down. But you guys are always building each other up. It's, it's marriage that looks different than it would look on the outside of the world and parenting that looks different than it does on the outside. You mothers know you're constantly subordinating your rights to your children. You're constantly doing what's in their best interests. You're teaching them to do that also for you. And you're teaching them to do that for one another. If we can live this life where we're, where we're walking in love and wisdom, if, if our behavior is defined as putting the other's best interest above our own, we will be running in the direction of God's grace and God's goodness. We will be learning to live within the, within the, the broad framework of God's house in a way that brings honor and glory to his name. Is it easy? It's not easy. It's not easy to constantly subordinate your rights to one another. Does it make God look good? It does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am grateful. I'm grateful to have been adopted into this house of yours. Grateful to live in such a way that I can willingly subordinate my rights to my husband, to my children, to the people around me in work or volunteer, in work or church or, or our, our groups of friends. I pray, Father, that you would teach us to do this with humility and strength so that we would know more what it is to be comfortable in our own skin as daughters of the King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.